You really want to know what love is? Yeah. Yes, tell us. More than anything in the world, Ron. Well, it's really quite simple. When you're married, you'll understand the importance of fresh produce. Shut up. Just shut up. You had me at hello. Hey everybody, welcome back. This is Steve Cooper, Editor-in-Chief of HitchedMag.com. I'm joined with a new guest today, Dr. Terry Orbuck. Hi, Terry. Hi, Steve. How are you? I'm doing great. Um, Terry and I connected when Hitched launched uh, the website way back in 2006. And so I'm really excited uh, to speak with uh, you again today, Terry. Um, it's, it's been a long time, but not nearly as long as your marriage project has been. That is true, but it's great to be here. Yeah. Um, so to give you guys uh, listening a little background, uh, Terry Orbuck, a Ph.D., a.k.a. The Love Doctor, is a Michigan-based research professor and marriage and family therapist who, since 1986, uh, has spent more than 22 years charting the love lives of 373 married couples and the longest-running marriage study of uh, the longest-running marriage store study conducted in North America, and her landmark study, The Early Years of Marriage Project, was funded by the National Institute of Health, and she has taken that information, extracted the knowledge, and put out a new book, Five Simple Steps to Take Your Marriage from Good to Great. And today we're going to discuss uh, some of the, the that knowledge that uh, Terry has acquired over 20-plus and beyond years, and uh, I'm, I'm really excited uh, to uh, share this with all you listeners. So, Terry, um, going into your research, uh, did you have any specific goals in mind way back in 86 in terms of your findings and what you're looking to get out of it? Yes, see, originally we were interested in really looking at just the first four years of marriage, the early years looking at how couples negotiate their different lives together and transition into marriage. And we were interested in what keeps people together and happy and what breaks people apart. But the findings were so fascinating and so wonderful that we've continued on for the next almost 20 years and hope to continue on for the next 20 years, even beyond today. And, and we, you were saying um, off air here that um, this, is, this is just an ongoing thing that you know, you're, you're looking to collect more data in the future? Yes, it's ongoing. I like to say now that I've been following 746 individuals oh, okay. for probably the last oh, 23 years, some of whom are still married to one another and some of whom are no longer married to one another. And so when individuals or couples divorce, I continue to follow those individuals as divorced individuals and look at their partnerships, look at the effects on kids, and look to see how they adjust over time. Okay, and I'm assuming that those couples, some of them at least, who have divorced have then remarried. Do you follow, do you follow their new marriages? I don't follow the new marriages themselves, but I follow the individuals within their new marriages. So I don't add any new individuals to the group 
okay. time setting over time, but I do look to see how their happiness is affected by the past relationship and how they're negotiating their new marriage given what happened in their first marriage. Okay. And what, if anything, surprised you about your research? Well, I think there was a lot that surprised me, but the number one thing is that affective affirmation, the degree to which you feel made to feel special, loved, cared for by your partner, was so very important in terms of happiness and stability over time. So that meaning, Steve, that okay. when a spouse feels appreciated, feels noticed, and feels like they are loved by their partner, they're significantly happier in their relationship, and that couple is less likely to divorce over time. And even more surprising was that men craved that affective affirmation more than women in their relationships. And that was so surprising to me. And now is that, when you're talking about the affirmation, is that verbal affirmation or is it showing it through action or is it a combination of both or, or e either one of them equally as powerful? Well, I think affective affirmation can be expressed through words or actions. So you're right on. So you can tell your partner, you're, I love you, you're special, you're wonderful. I would still choose you if I had to do it all over again, which mm -hmm. I love that last phrase. Uh -huh. Or through behaviors or actions. You can bring in the newspaper in the morning. You can turn on the coffee pot because you know your partner needs caffeine. Or <laughs> you can mail them a greeting card, which we rarely do these days. Instead, we email or Yes. Some spouses are really good at words and other spouses are really good at actions. And so you can express it either way, but we need to understand how our partner is expressing it to us. So we really need to understand people give it in different ways. Okay. And uh, I think about a week or so ago, um, you were generous enough to share five lessons taken from your book to our readers, and we posted that uh, article online. Um, and... Uh, a couple of the things that were included in your book were not to shy away from conflict and as we were just talking about affirming your partner. Uh, one, of the, one of the tips that you offer that I'd like to talk about is to keep your relationship talk to a minimum. And uh, you said that happily married couples in your study uh, do not spend a lot of time in conscious relationship maintenance or talk. Uh, and uh, I guess if they aren't talking about it, how are they addressing their issues? And that's a really good question, Steve. But let me uh, try to help you understand what relationship talk means okay. first, because that will then distinguish between relationship talk and communication about an issue that's bothering you. So relationship talk is any discussion that's focused on the relationship itself. So it's all about the state or fate of the relationship. So you might say, I want to talk about how we're doing, or are you happy? Um, I want to talk about whether or not I'm happy in the relationship, or let's just talk about the quality of our relationship. Now, that's all relationship talk. And what I found is that women find that extremely reinforcing. They love to talk about their relationship and how it's going, whether or not there are problems or not. But men, on the other hand, 
really do not like talking about the relationship in general or what I call relationship talk. Okay. If that is instigated or initiated, they think that there's a problem in the relationship and they're to blame. So they become extremely unhappy in the relationship when they have to talk about relationship talk. So as you mentioned, what I found is that the happy couples in my study don't spend a lot of time talking about the state and fate of their relationship because it's so negative for husbands. Now, I distinguish that from talk that centers on or focuses on issues that one or both partners are having. So if there's a relationship issue, if somebody's upset about how they treated their mother-in-law or their mother or the homework that's going on with the kids or the discipline that's going on with the children, that's okay. You can continue to discuss and address a specific relationship issue, but it's the state and larger fate of the relationship that is not what happy couples do for frequently in their relationship. Okay. Does that make sense? Yes, that makes perfect sense. <laughs> um, one of the other things that you highlight is how uh, good sex is more important than having lots of sex. Um, and I, I don't know if this is a common thing that you find, but I know a lot of the um, queries that we get to the website have to, have to deal with the amount of sex that people are having and what's the normal amount. Um, now, your research showed that happy couples... Uh, had less sex over time, but were satisfied with their sex life, even saying that it was as enjoyable uh, as it was when they first met. Is there a secret or common thread that enabled them to maintain a high sex quality of sex life over time? Yes, I think there were several common secrets or themes when you look at the happy couples and they talk about their sex life. First and probably the most important, Steve, is that these couples are reigniting passion and excitement frequently in their relationship. So all relationships go through what I call a relationship rut where it's the same old, same old, and they're sort of bored with what's going on. Mm -hmm. But the happy couples ignite the passion, the excitement, and the romance to sort of get their relationship out of that rut. And there are three things that they do to make that excitement that then leads to happy sex. One is new and novel activities with one another, and some of those can be sexual new behaviors and activities, but it doesn't have to be. It can be any new or novel activity that is done together as a couple. So you can take a new class together. You can go to a new vacation spot. You can even go to a new restaurant. Anything that sort of implements change that takes you out of the same old, same old leads to passion, excitement, and satisfying sex. Second, mystery. What happens is, is that at the beginning of a relationship, you're constantly learning new things about each other. Mm -hmm. But then as you go on in a relationship, you don't ask the same kind of questions and you don't learn new information about one another. So the happy couples who had satisfying sex be continue to ask questions to one another, to learn new information, to add a little mystery. Anytime you say, wow. That is so different. I didn't know that about <laughs> you. That's when the surprise and the mystery occurred. 
And third, those couples who are happy that have good sex lives or satisfying sex lives added what I call arousal-producing activities together. And sometimes this can be fantasy, talking about sexual fantasies, doing sexual fantasies, but it can also be any activity that produces adrenaline or arousal that are that's done together. So you can exercise together, you can watch a scary movie together, you can even go on a roller coaster ride at an amusement park. That produces arousal or adrenaline. It mimics that sort of passionate love that you had at the beginning of a relationship. And if you do it over time with one another, again, it increases the passion, it makes you happy, and then more likely to have a satisfying sex life with one another. Okay, so um, it would probably be a good idea for my wife and I to renew our Disneyland passes. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. That's perfect, right? And then go on those rides at Disney World that are scary and do it together. Yeah. Make sure you do it together and not solo. Yeah. So, I mean, really, it's that, it's that old saying, variety is the spice of life. I mean, that's really the, kind of the secret to the sex life then. As, that's what the happy couples in my study told me, that... You know, spicing up your relationship or spicing up your sex life leads to satisfying sexuality or satisfying sex with one another over time. Absolutely. Okay. And after, to kind of wrap things up here, after all of your years of research and collecting all this data, if there was one piece of advice that you could offer married couples, um, obviously outside of reading your book, uh, what would that be? I think there are two. Okay. (laughs) Oh, you cheater. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. Um, First and foremost, it's that I think men and women are similar in many ways and on many social behaviors. But when it comes to relationships, we continue to be very different. We ask different questions about our relationships, and the factors that lead to happiness in our relationships are different. And so we can't expect our spouse to be the same as us. Men and women are completely different, and that's so very important as we go through a relationship or marriage over time. And so that's the first piece of information I would give. And second is that you have to consistently, regularly examine your expectations for your relationship. And I think we as spouses or partners forget to do that. We think that we told our partner what we expect or the top two things that are so important in a relationship for us as a partner when we first met, but those expectations change, Steve, over time. Situations change, we change, and so I strongly encourage partners to sit down with one another every six months and write down your top two expectations for what you need and want out of this relationship. Then write them down on a piece of paper and then, mm-hmm. you know, give each other or switch the pieces of paper and discuss your top two relationship expectations. Because frustration occurs when you have these expectations and they're not met in a relationship. And when you say relationship expectations, can you, can you give an example? I mean, is this we want to move into a house together or is this um, I want to have a closer bond with you type? Yes, I'm 
thinking more of the latter. Okay. Like, you should never hurt or deceive me. Or when we make big decisions in our relationship, we consult one another. Or when we have conflict, we both need to be calm and take a break and be ready to compromise. Those are the kinds of expectations that people have that are really strong. Mm-hmm. And if they're not met, leads frustration. And it's really frustration that eats away at happiness over time in a relationship. So sitting down and writing them down, because they change as we change, sure. as we have kids, as kids leave the house, as we work harder, as we have financial difficulties, those expectations change and morph over time. So sit down, write them down on a piece of paper, switch the piece of paper, and then discuss those top two priorities or expectations. Okay. Well, that is, that's going to do it for us, Terry. So um, I thank you very much for all this great advice. Um, before we go, I want to let everybody know again, you guys are listening to Dr. Terry Orbuck, PhD, aka The Love Doctor. Uh, she is the project director of the Early Years of Marriage Project, which is funded again by the National Institute of Health. And she is also the author of the new book, Five Simple Steps to Take Your Marriage from Good to Great. And you can find information about that book at Terry's website, Dr. Terry, the Love Doctor. And that's Dr. Terry, T-E-R-R-I, the Love Doctor.com. And you can also follow twi- uh, Terry on Twitter at Dr. Love Doctor. And that's Dr. at the front and Dr. at the end. And uh, of course, I'll also link um, this podcast on the podcast page to uh, the article we mentioned, the five tips that Terry uh, gave us to uh, publish. And uh, we'll also have a link to her book as well if, if you're having trouble remembering all this. So uh, one more time, thank you so much for your time, Terry. I really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure, Stephen. Great to talk to you again. You too. Uh, hopefully we can do this again sometime soon. That would be great. Thanks. Okay. Bye, everybody. I just want to say one thing to my wife who's home. Yo, Adrian! I did it! They certainly got the idea. They feel free to express love. It's worth all those awful frank discussions at the dining room table. Hitched entertains, educates, and inspires married couples.